0: Hello, and welcome to the Good Life Community Church podcast. Wherever you're listening, we hope that you'll be encouraged, challenged, and that you would hear the invitation to be a part of the transformative work of God. This episode, we're hearing from Dan Gaddis as he shares about the awareness of the need to listen to your body. I hope you enjoy. So I'm going to share something today that's that's been challenging me for, for a while, and I've been kind of curious about for the last while. I'm just um, putting on a little timer here though, because it 's been a while, so <laughs> no, but um, yeah I'm excited to share on this, but firstly, I just want to tell you a little bit of a story um, about me and, and kind of what I 've learned through surfing. If, if you aren't aware, I love surfing and i 've been doing it for a, a while now, but I 'll never forget the first time I went out. I paddled out, struggled to get out the back, I was in San Diego and um, you know, I was determined. I was like, "This is gonna—you know—I want to surf. This is—I've always wanted to do this." And anyhow, I got out the back and endeavoured to try and stand on my feet and was fumbling around, and getting washed around in the whitewash. And and in this, in these kind of first moments, it wasn't so apparent to me how um, how connected my body needed to be to my surfboard. I didn't really understand, and I was just trying to, you know, stand up and, and ride the wave. But as I, as I continued surfing, I really started to understand that connection to my board, my body's connection to my board was really essential to surfing. And I don't know if, um, I don't know if any of you have surfed down in, in Victoria, but I recently went down there for a mate's wedding. And coming from Queensland, where the wetter, weather here, the ocean temperature is in the 20s mostly, I went down there and it was like 11. And it was so cold. Everyone wears these really thick wetsuits. And I had on a thick wetsuit. But I got into the water, and I instantly felt my feet just go numb, and I was, I was aching. I felt, I, felt, <laughs> I felt like such a wuss. I paddled out the back, and I'm freezing cold. Anyhow, when your feet are really, really cold, I don't know if anyone's ever felt this. They almost feel like you're, you don't have feet. It's almost like you're standing on just bones. Like, your feet are just completely gone, and I went to stand up on the surfboard, and and I just didn't even, I couldn't even feel my feet. And in this moment, I really realized that I was completely disconnected from my board. It felt like I was. And, and it affected my surfing. It affected the whole entire experience. It was actually quite miserable. It was at Bells Beach. And I was bummed because I'd always wanted to surf there. But don't do it in the middle of winter. Like, at least go when, it, when it's nice. But this was, a, this was interesting for me. Because it really showed it showed me that... It is important, it's so important to, to listen and, and be connected to our bodies. It's important and it's vital to, to be able to feel what's going on with our body. Like when you surf, you actually feel it. You feel your, the wax under your feet. You feel the board. You feel when you're moving and, and it's essential to surfing well. And when that was taken away from me, I was just fumbling around out there like an absolute kook. I couldn't surf hardly at all because I couldn't feel that connection. And this has got me thinking, listening to our bodies is vital to living well. Listening to our bodies is vital to doing anything physical. It's really vital to living. It's, it's a fundamental pathway to living life. It's a fundamental pathway to survival. But then I guess I'm, I got thinking, you know, because I, I love God. I love theology and I love the spiritual life. And I started thinking, well, how come it's not vital in our spiritual life? Why isn't listening to our bodies an essential part of our spiritual formation? Why isn't it almost like a part of Christianity 101? I don't know, but many of you, many of you probably aren't aware, but I recently completed my spiritual direction training. And prior to this, this training, listening to my body in an intentional way was a f- completely foreign concept to me. The only time I really found myself listening to my body was when I was in some sort of pain or I felt sick. And that was, a, that was that kind of a subconscious level. There wasn't an intentional slowing down and allowing my body to speak to me. I wonder if this was because I undervalued the voice of my body. I actually didn't even consider my body to have a voice. I simply thought that it performed functions for me. It did things for me. It carried me around. Perhaps this was because, I guess, I deemed the most important part of my body, or myself, I don't want to say my body, I deemed the most important part of myself to actually be my mind. I valued my mind. I valued my thoughts. I valued my intellectual arguments. I valued my intellectual discussions. I valued the mind. I valued that at a really high level. I value the engagements of my mind far more than I value the feelings or movements within my body. I was, I guess, truly a child of postmodernism. So why is why is listening to our bodies not really something we often do? And if you're sitting there and you're going, I listen to my body all the time, well, I know you probably do. There's an extent to which you do, but I think there's also an extent to which we probably diminish the voice of our bodies. If someone asks you to do something, probably your first question or your first response will be like, oh, let me have a think about that. I don't think that our first response and my first response probably wouldn't have been, let me sit with my body about that. (laughs) You'd probably be like, pardon? You're a bit weird, mate. Why are you going to sit with your body about that? Interesting, though. What might happen if we actually sit with our body about that? So this kind of got me thinking and sitting with my body about it. But um, this is, I wondered, okay, so why is it? Why do I I devalue this? Why do I devalue this part of myself? And I think there's two things. I think that there's a philosophical reason, but I'll bless you. I also think there is a theological reason. So we're going to start with philosophical. In the 17th century, there was a fellow by the name of René Descartes. Has anyone, anyone heard of him, Descartes? So he came up with this, this idea, this, and he, he said these words in every philosophical kind of, I guess, belief. They, they come up with some witty little Latin phrase to say it. And he said, cogito ergo sum, or cogito ergo sum. And this means, I think, therefore I am. This was a very big dis- distinction that Descartes made here. He said, the identity that I have is founded in the idea or the fundamental reality that I think. And this set up a trajectory of philosophy that has carried us into today. This was his longest lasting legacy called mind-body dualism. The mind and the body, essentially he was saying that the mind and the body are completely distinct from one another. So much so that he said that one could exist without the body. The mind is what is essential. The mind is fundamental to our existence, our thoughts. And he kind of landed here. He actually kind of said, I doubt, therefore I am. But doubt is a thought, and therefore he said, I think, therefore I am. So the one might be able to exist without the other. And I think that this distinctive notion, and you, you might kind of this, this was big for me, and I think it's actually been big for the Western world. This distinctive notion of the mind and the body affected me to consider that my mind wasn't just distant from my body, but actually I elevated the mind above the body, which Descartes completely does here. And this actually aligns with a lot of Greek thought, too. The Greeks believed that we were really just souls embodied. We were, we were souls within a body. The value, though, was the soul not the body. And Descartes takes it to the next level, and he says we actually could be completely, completely distinct from one another. So to listen to the voice of the body seemed completely absurd to me when I started my, my formation in spiritual direction. I relegated intentional body listening to something that crazy people did, or practi- manipulative practitioners would encourage. So it didn't just undervalue the voice of the body, I completely... I guess distrusted it, or I was suspicious of it altogether. But see, I said this comes from a a philosophical point of view, but I also feel that theology has had a a role to play in this as well. I was formed in a theological understanding that valued a really high priority on right think, right thought, right understandings, which I often associated then with the mind. I was also formed in a theological understanding that deemed the flesh as being something that not only was less valuable, but also was deceitful or could be a source of temptation. A verse that was kind of used to to reinforce this was this passage. I don't know, if maybe you chuck your hands up if you've ever seen this passage before. Jeremiah, a a prophet, um, he said this, The heart is is the most deceitful of all things. Or Other translations say, the heart is deceitful. And desperately wicked, who knows how bad it is. That's a pretty damning statement about the heart. Well, and I kind of, I guess I picked this up at face value and I started thinking, man, my heart's trying to deceive me. I'm, it, it almost like there was this internal battle within me. But well, what's happening here? Is Jeremiah, is Jeremiah making a, a fundamental statement or a systematic statement about the nature of the human heart? Or is he speaking of something else? Prophets oftentimes in the Old Testament, they didn't just pipe up when things were going awesome, did they? Like Jeremiah is not just going to say this when Israel is just going really you know gangbusters for God. No, prophets piped up when things had literally hit the fan. They they piped up when things were going horribly wrong in society. And oftentimes what prophets are doing is they are speaking truth to power. They're speaking of a reality that's going on within a, spe- a specific context. This is so key to understanding the the prophets of the Old Testament. They're speaking into a specific context. And the prophets I've kind of pictured, they're like artists. Artists try and like, you know, an artist can paint something that draws out emotions from us or, or, or can reveal something to us that words can't do. You know, when you look at art and you're left speechless I feel like, well, the prophets were trying to do that, but they were trying to use words to do that. Some of them used metaphors. Some of them did actions. They literally did things. Ezekiel, he he did some things. But but Jeremiah, what, what prophets oftentimes are doing is they're using every kind of linguistic tool that they have in their tool belt to show a reality of what's going on to help people see what's happening underneath the surface. So the prophets would use hyperbolic language. They would would use language to exaggerate things to paint a picture for people. They're trying to uncover a deeper depth or a vision of what's going on, all to help people see a specific community to see the error of their way. So was was Jeremiah saying this is true of all humans at all times? I kind of believed for a long time that that's what he was saying. But as I look back on this, especially through the lens of Jesus, because what does Jesus say about the heart? I've got a, another passage here. And this is just a brief one through, um, that we can see in the, in the book of Luke. Jesus is also talking about the heart. And is he echoing the words of Jeremiah here? Is he saying the heart is deceitfully wicked? Who knows how bad it really is? No, he's not. He's actually saying, hey, we'll, we'll read it together. Each tree is recognized from its own fruit. So this is kind of that whole you know you look at the fruit and you can see you can see what a tree is by its fruit all right he's kind of making the same connection to the heart we don't fi- we don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart and an evil man brings up evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart for the, out of the mouth, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, or out of the mouth of the heart speaks. So here Jesus is actually saying, no, the heart isn't deceitfully wicked. He's almost saying the heart is where things are coming from. Jesus is saying there are good. There is goodness in people's hearts. But yes, there's evil in people's hearts. So this isn't about just going, the heart is deceitfully wicked, who can trust it? This is about acknowledging good can come from within, but evil can come from within, which leaves us in a really uncomfortable place of discernment. It doesn't allow us to just go, okay, no, I don't listen to my body. I don't listen to the self. I don't listen to the heart. I don't listen to that. I actually am invited to a place of discernment. The formative view, though, that I was kind of given was really shaping, it it shaped my reality, it shaped how I saw the body, it shaped how I engaged with the body. And unfortunately, Jeremiah's view of the body or the heart took stronger hold in the theology that I lived out, rather than this more nuanced, reflective view that Jesus offers of the human heart. Another passages that have been formational in, in how I understood the body was Paul's writings. Paul wrote these things in, in Romans, those who are in the flesh, body, cannot please God. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. And the one that probably affected me most was this for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to the deaths, the deeds of the body, or the put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And upon plain reading in these texts, I really heard that there was something inherently wrong with the body, that it was deceitful. It would lead to destruction. I would not only—I should not only pay attention to it. I shouldn't sure it had no voice. And upon learning the Greek in these texts, and in, in the, the Greek word for flesh, it was sark's, s-a-r-x. And I'll never forget this. I was probably a teenager, and I heard this pastor talk about this, and he said, "You know, the Greek word for socks, is, is—is—is—or sorry, the Greek word for flesh is sarx, It, it rhymes with sucks. Therefore, your flesh sucks." And I'm like, cool, all right. But it's funny, like I laugh about that then, but these things kind of got to me. They got to me, and they started actually getting me to think that there was something inherently wrong with the self or the body or the flesh. And if you look at Strong's translation, or you know, when you actually look at the Greek of this, it does say that sarks can mean the body, the body of a man or woman, the body of a born of natural generation. But Strong's also acknowledges this can speak to human nature, not actually our bodies, that this was sometimes referred when these passages were taught. But most prominently, I was hearing that the body, listening to the body was, was not what I should be doing. That I should somehow make some sort of distinction between listening to the body and listening to the, sple- the flesh, or sorry, the spirit. As I reflect on the early understanding I had of my body, I, I realized it was really... How cautious I was, and I realized this made sense to me. But it was this continual invitation to listen to this, to to listen intentionally to my body that I was continually exposed to, and I guess confronted by as I saw my colleagues and people who were studying with me notice these movements within theirs. It got me to become quite curious. And this invitation also led me to eventually value the body in a way that I did never deemed possible. I didn't actually deem possible within the human experience, which now I feel, I feel actually aligns a lot more with Paul's holistic theology. Because what else does Paul say about the body? I want to show you this passage. It's when he's talking about the resurrection. And Paul, the resurrection was essential to Paul's theology. The resurrection of Jesus, the body resurrection of Jesus, but also the body resurrection of humanity. And Paul says this in in 1 Corinthians 15. There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly body is of one kind, and the splendor of an earthly body is of another. See, Paul is using this word here, splendor, the wonder, the splendor, the glory of the body. So clearly, Paul doesn't have this Greek mindset that the body is to be diminished. He has a mindset that, no, the body, there's a splendor in the created body of of humans. Because the Greeks, remember, they said the body is just there to get us around. All that matters is our spirit and our soul. And Paul is saying, no, the body matters. And I guess the question I have in that then is, how are we listening to it? My defense is against this whole, you know, body listening really started to crack as I saw more of my colleagues describe how they were listening to their bodies. And I started being curious, can I, can I do that too? Would I be able to describe what I'm feeling within myself? And might that be wisdom for me? And I, I didn't think I was able to, because I, I guess I'd pushed it down for so long. But there was this one time I was meeting with my, my supervisor, and a lot was going on in my life at this time. And I was meeting with my supervisor, and we were discussing some things. And and she got me to just be still and to really pay attention to what was going on within me. And I'm like, I can't. I don't even know how to do this. But she's like, just try it. And I tried over and over, but she's like, just try it. And I started to really notice, like, a real intense tightness in my neck. And I'm just having this conversation with her. And she's kind of got me in this place where I'm noticing this. And then I started to notice a tightness in my neck. And then I started to get up the back of my head. I started to get these headaches. And I'm like, what is going on? And it was really fascinating. Because in that moment, it was like a light bulb turned on for me. My body in that moment, I feel now. I can't say this definitively. But I feel now that in my body... My body was actually showing me something that my mind had not yet seen. My body was showing me, Daniel, you're actually living in incredible tension right now. Your lived experience. There is incredible tension that you're feeling right now. And I was actually getting a lot of headaches at that time, like a crazy amount. I was popping Panadols all the time, and I was not sure what was going on. But in this moment, I started to see, oh my goodness, did my body just show me what I'm actually experiencing in my lived reality that my mind had not yet seen? And it was this really eye-opening, crazy, and confronting moment for me. And I st- once I saw the tension, I talked to Demi about it, and we, we made a decision. We were able to actually discern what was going on within my life at that time. And when I saw, when I, once I made that decision, I felt that tension start to ease, and start to go away. And this was a really fascinating, I guess you'd say, breakthrough for me. And now, a, a, a few months later, someone asked me to do something, and instead of just going straight to, all right, let me think about the pros and the cons, let me weigh all this up, and, and you do all that kind of like cost-benefit analysis, I was like, you know what? Let me let's just sit with this and see what I notice. And I noticed some really strange, uncomfortable feelings within me. And I was like, huh, maybe I should add that into this whole discernment process. And looking back, oh my goodness, I'm so glad I did. There was not a bad thing that was being offered to me, but was it the best thing for myself and my family at that time? No, it wasn't. But was it probably the thing that Daniel could have cost-benefit analyzed and justified doing? Heck, yes, it was. But I'm so glad that I guess I discovered the wisdom of God that can actually be revealed to me through this human body. Not just through the mind. But that was the tip of the iceberg for me. I then started being curious, okay, well, what if we could come to Scripture and sit with Scripture rather than just with our mind? What if we could come to Scripture as embodied beings and sit with our bodies and notice what's coming up for us as we hear different passages of Scripture, and how might there be wisdom in this? And so I did this kind of test. a little experiment that I ran with some of my colleagues when I was doing my final paper. And I'd love to do this same kind of experiment with you if you're cool with it. Um, If you're not, that's totally cool. You can kind of just chill there and not participate. So what I'd love to do, I'm going to read you two different passages of Scripture. And before I do that, just kind of calm yourself down. my, My heart's racing a bit right now, so let's just take a few deep breaths. just kind of relax into this moment. I'm going to read you two different passages of Scripture. And all I want you to do is try and feel or notice what you're feeling as you hear these passages. of don't, the, don't go to the mind. Don't go to rationalization. Don't go to justification. Don't do any of that. Try as hard as you can. And I know this is hard for me. If you're, if you're anything like me, this is going to be really hard, but try to just notice what's going on within you. Does that sound all right? Okay. The first passage of Scripture is this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey." What are you feeling? What are you noticing? Are you sensing anything? The second passage of Scripture is this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I don't know what you noticed as we did that little experiment. You may have fallen asleep because my voice was just so calm. But the people I did that experience with noticed quiet, intense body movements in the first, passage. And they noticed almost like a resistance or a shift of those movements as we engage with the second passage. And I guess that just got me questioning and curious about how this human, entire human experience, how our bodies might actually reveal wisdom to us. The incarnation, God becoming human, defied all of what the ancients believed God could ever do. It really did. The ancients never believed God would ever stoop to the level of becoming human, but the Hebrew God did. The God in our scriptures became human. This is the ultimate elevation of the human experience. The God becoming the created. Not just being with them in a disembodied form, but actually being with them in a completely embodied form. The only way that we can, that God can move through us, the only vehicle that there is for God to move through us is our human body. And this seems obvious to me now, but this was, I guess, an unthinkable invitation for me to consider the value of our bodies, the value of our bodies when we come to discernment. And as we relate to the creative world through our bodies, it's critical that we carefully listen to and heed the wisdom of our bodies. So right now, I want to to just, how do we do this? And you may be really well versed in this. I wasn't. And someone sort of, someone taught me throughout, um, throughout some of my, my studies what's just simply called a body scan. And so even right now, we're going to do this if you want to. And then, because I, I think it's important to not just hear something, but actually to maybe try it um, if you'd like to. And this might be really uncomfortable for you. And that's okay. It was for me. <laughs> and, um, but if it is uncomfortable for you and you're not keen, that's totally cool. But if you are keen, let's give it a try. So what I'm going to do simply is we're just going to, we're just going to move through and, and notice some of the movements within, within our body. And um, if you do pick up anything, cool. Be curious about it. And then um, the team's going to come up, and we're going to then sing a song. And ironically, this song is actually about an embodied response to God. But so firstly, let's just, if you want, it's probably helpful to close your eyes. You can, you can be sitting down. It's probably best if you're sitting down. But what we're just going to do is we're going to come into a place of silence Come into a place of rest. Come into a place of simply being, and notice what we're what we're what we're feeling. And I'll just kind of help you, maybe notice some of those things, or hopefully not just distract you. If you want to close your eyes, it could be helpful just to kind of tune out everything else that's going on around you. Just some deep breaths. Deep breath in. Your breath in and breathing out. Even as you notice that, just feel your chest rising and falling with each breath. As you shift your attention, you can start noticing your head. Maybe there's some tension, maybe there's some lightness in your mind. As you come down, you can start to relax your eyelids. Are you noticing any uneasiness or what's going on for you there? As you come down, you can come to your cheeks. Maybe just relax those. Continually breathing. And coming down to your, your jaw. it relaxed or is, it, is there a tightness? Is there just a piece there and coming down to your neck which connects you to your spine, which connects you to the ground? What are you feeling there? What are you sensing there? Any movements there? And the team's now just going to We could continue to just move through your whole body. And I encourage you to do that sometime. The team's going to lead us in a song. You can continue to sit and be present with your body. Or you can respond in standing up and moving your arms, considering the words of this song as we have an embodied response to God, our Creator. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. Dan Geddes is going to join Hannah on our next Pondering episode coming out on the 21st of September. So if you're interested in hearing more, make sure you stay up to date with the podcast by subscribing on whichever platform you prefer. We would love it if you could like, follow, and even give us a five-star review. It all helps in getting the good news out there. You can also head to our website, goodlife.org.au or our YouTube for video content and resources. Until next time, peace.